Now for this month's special series on ReachMD, focus on future medicine. We're looking ahead to pivotal breakthroughs and technologies that will transform healthcare in the coming years. Can computer hackers control your heart? Recently, a team of computer security researchers reported that it is possible to obtain unauthorized wireless access to a pacemaker or an implanted defibrillator. This could be a major potential security problem for devices using wireless technology. You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Sorrentino. And with me today are two computer research experts to help us unravel this high-tech problem. Our first expert is Dr. William Mazel. He is the director of the Medical Device Safety Institute at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Mazel, welcome to the program. Thank you. And with us also is Dr. Kevin Fu. Dr. Fu is the assistant professor in the computer sciences department at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Dr. Fu, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. So I thought what we would start with is a little understanding for our audience how pacemakers and defibrillators communicate. How do technicians access information from pacemakers and defibrillators currently? Dr. Mazel? When a patient comes in to have their pacemaker or their defibrillator checked, we have a computer programmer that is specific to the device manufacturer. And we, depending on the model, simply place a programming wand over the device, or we can even communicate with the device from several feet away to access all the information in the pacemaker or the implantable defibrillator. This information can include name, social security number, details about their medical condition, as well as important information that helps us care for the patient, such as information about their heart. Now, I understand that it's becoming easier for this information to be accessed, that it can be accessed in a patient's home and sent over telephone wires. How does that type of process work? There have been some amazing developments that really make patient care much more convenient for the patient. Many of the important pieces of information that we need to care for patients, we can get while the patient stays in their home. And for example, these devices can now download information to a bedside monitor, and this can occur wirelessly, so the patient can be asleep, the monitor can access their device or vice versa, the monitor can then transmit via the phone line this information to a secure internet site, which I as the physician can then access to get this information. So how far would a patient have to be from the device that the information is downloaded to? Can it be anywhere in the house and it can go to a device? Typically, the devices now function over several feet. So we'd probably be talking about a range of six to eight feet maximum at this point. So I know that you and your colleagues have recently looked at some of these issues and have recently published a paper about the potential for security breach. Can you give us just a background idea of what motivated you to put this study together? Well, Dr. Fu led the study from the computer science standpoint, so I'll let him answer that question. Sure. So this is Dr. Fu. What initially drew us to the study was looking at where computers and embedded computers are beginning to appear in rather pervasive places. And implantable medical devices, to us, appear to be one of the most pervasive places where computation is able to help in healthcare and helping people. So when you were thinking about this issue, what made you think that it was possible that somebody could access this information unauthorized? Dr. Fu. There are many examples of systems that were able to defend against accidents, but were not able to defend against intentional malfunctions. So we wanted to know how well at least one system in this particular system would hold up against 
some kind of intentional interference. So tell me how you set up your study. How did you determine that it is possible to interfere with a defibrillator or a pacemaker? Well, what we did was we built a software radio device. What that is is a, a computer connected to some special purpose circuitry to both observe and transmit radio information. So we were able to observe the communication between an ICD and a programmer device to learn about what's going on in that conversation. So, for instance, we were able to learn the type of information that would be transmitted, such as what would have been a patient name, and then we were also able to transmit information that could cause changes on the ICD. Now, I understand this was all done in vitro, not in vivo, so you had a pacemaker on your lab bench and set up the device next to it to pull that information. Do you think it would actually be possible to get this information if it was embedded in a patient? So what we had on our lab bench was we did do in vitro testing out, so not involving any patients, and we did have an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, an ICD. Whether it would work in a patient is not something we particularly studied, and we don't have any evidence that shows it would definitely or would not definitely work. It is definitely a risk, though, I think that needs to be considered in these future devices as they become more pervasive and more populous. Perhaps Dr. Maisel can offer some commentary on, on his clinical opinion on the clinical significance. Well, as Kevin has noted, you know, we purposefully chose to do the testing on a lab bench. We recognize the sensitive nature of the work, and we also recognize the anxiety that this type of work can provoke both for patients who have these devices, their loved ones, and physicians who care for these patients. So we felt extremely important to not unduly inflame or excite patients who have these devices because they are amazing devices and they help people and because there's never been a report of unauthorized access to information on one of these devices or unauthorized reprogramming of a device in a patient. That being said, we feel it's obviously an important topic and, and one that deserves the attention it has received and hopefully will continue to receive as manufacturers continue to, to build devices. And our main concern is that in the future, there are many more devices coming down the line beyond, for instance, cardiac devices. And there are other chronic diseases that today are difficult to treat, but will be treatable in the future with various implantable medical devices. But to make sure that these devices can withstand the kinds of threats we know exist and, and expect to happen on wireless systems and internet-based systems, there's, we feel that this study gives us a good example so that we can learn from the study so that we can prevent these kinds of problems from happening in the future. If you are just joining us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and I'm speaking with Dr. William Maisel from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. He's an electrophysiologist there who studies security issues with pacemakers and defibrillators, and Dr. Kevin Fu, a computer science department professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Well, what I'm concerned about with some of this research is not just the privacy issues of downloading or unauthorized access to information, but actually changing the settings of a pacemaker or defibrillator, uh, possibly disabling it or making a defibrillator fire, for example. Is that possible with some of the research that you've done, Dr. Maisel? Well, what Kevin and his colleagues were able to show was that it is possible to reprogram the settings on an implantable defibrillator on a benchtop. And, and that reprogramming certainly can have adverse health consequences. Specifically, we were able to program therapies to an off position such that they wouldn't be able to respond to a dangerous heart rhythm problem. We were able to purposefully deliver 
a high-voltage shock to the heart that is designed to rescue a patient but can also be used to induce a dangerous arrhythmia. And so I, I think the answer would be yes, it's possible. I think the bigger question is why would someone want to do that? And, and certainly we think it's extremely unlikely that this would happen accidentally. And so you would have to invoke some malicious, knowledgeable person who would want to set out to do something like this. And, and I think because that's exceedingly unlikely, that's the reason we haven't seen anything like this happen. I think from our standpoint, we don't think it's likely to happen in the short term. And what we're most interested in is having manufacturers think about this issue now so that as they're designing newer and better devices, the subsequent generations of devices will be more secure and more private, much like it's hard to put a Band-Aid on Internet security, it's, it's much easier to build security and privacy in, on the ground floor rather than after the fact. We want to raise awareness of the issue, and we want device manufacturers to be thinking about it. Now, Dr. Fu, some of your research also suggested ways that we can potentially protect devices. Can you describe some of your thoughts on how we can protect against a malicious attack on a device? Our research paper proposed a number of directions that we believe could help in defending against these potential kind of adversarial situations. One of the defenses is what we call zero-power authentication. What that means is we're able to provide security using mathematically sound cryptography, but cryptography tends to require a lot of energy, that is uh, energy coming from a battery. And what our uh, zero-power authentication method does is it draws energy not from the battery that should be dedicated to the therapies, but instead it's able to draw its energy from an external source wirelessly. So in other words, it's protecting that battery from somebody trying to maliciously drain it. We also uh, proposed a couple other directions, one involving a notification of the patient so that the patient can be better aware when some kind of security-sensitive event is happening, such as uh, a reprogramming of the therapies. And a third technique is what we call the sensible key exchange. Essentially, with any kind of security protocol, there's a, a notion of ex an exchange of keys. You can think of a key as, as a type of password between computers. And in our proposed system, we've used uh, acoustic signaling to exchange the keys between the implanted device and the external device in, in a uh, physically secure manner. Now, how easy would it be to implement these type of devices? Would the device companies have an easy way of putting these type of programs together? I think the word easy has to be taken in, in sort of a relative sense. My understanding of the medical device manufacturing process is it takes many years to go from conception through trials and such to get approval. But the ideas we have in mind behind the, the zero power approaches to make it modular such that it can be included in a future device as a module so it doesn't have to, for instance, involve complete redesign of an existing device. It would involve some integration, but it is designed to be modular. Now, Dr. Mizell, as we start thinking of ways of protecting devices and thinking of security and privacy, can this interfere with patient care? I'm thinking of the patient who's not at their local hospital, they're in an ER somewhere, and we need to access information in an emergency situation, but there's a security code that prevents access of information. Could this affect patient care? You've hit the nail on the head, and that is exactly the challenge in this field, which is to provide security without compromising patient care. And, and some of the methodology that has been suggested in our paper does that, but there is always that trade-off, that there's no such thing as 100% secure. And if you had something 100% secure, then it undoubtedly would compromise patient care. And so I think um, thinking of ways to provide increased security and to notify patients when someone's accessing their device in an unauthorized fashion 
are steps in the right direction towards empowering patients to be aware of this issue. Now, if it's possible for someone with malicious intent to approach one of these devices and uh, disrupt these devices, is it also possible that just external sources of energy could potentially interfere with the device so it would not be a malicious intent, but because there's obviously wireless waves going back and forth, could another device, a microwave or something, interfere with a device and shut a device off? Those are uh, well-described potential interactions with devices. There are electromagnetic fields, so strong strong magnetic fields, things like MRI scanners. There can be electrical noise. Anti-theft devices in department stores can cause interference with devices. So they don't typically reprogram devices. There's even reports of things like cosmic radiation, meaning the radiation that bombards the earth when people are traveling in airplanes at very great altitudes uh, can bombard the device and potentially result in reprogramming or software errors. So those type of things have been well described. They're relatively rare and and don't typically have a major adverse impact on patient care. What about the issue of uh, cell phones? Is it possible that there could be an interference with a cell phone over a device? Uh, There are reports of cell phones in close proximity uh, to a device, uh, and those can cause, quote, noise that the device can see and misinterpret as a adverse cardiac rhythm. So, Dr. Fu, where do we go from here? What should be the next step in trying to protect these devices? Well, I think the next step is backing up for a moment and taking a picture of the whole landscape and really understanding, okay, if we're going to have future devices that rely on infrastructures such as wireless communication and internet connectivity, that is pathways to the internet, then we really need to think differently. You have to think about threat models because on the internet, unfortunately, there are people out there who uh, engage in malicious activities. And these large infrastructures are just way too big to physically secure. So the future medical devices are going to have to understand how to defend against this very different kind of error condition. And it's one that's caused not by accidents, but by uh, an intentional misuse. Well, I want to thank Dr. William Maisel from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Dr. Kevin Fu from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. We've been talking about potential security risks with pacemakers and defibrillators. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Future Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.